Hello and welcome back to How Good Is That? Friday the 13th. We are on part 7, The New Blood, and we have some new blood for this episode. Paul, that's me, The New Blood. So I am Max, and I have Sam with me. Of course, say hi, Sam. Hello. And they're supposed to say hi, Sam. That's the hi, old Sam. ventriloquist joke, yeah. <laughs> so we are back. Part seven, and I've been alluding to this one for a while because it is my favorite, Friday the 13th, and we brought Paul because it is also Paul's favorite, Friday yes. the 13th. Paul, what do you like about this film? Well, this one doesn't have the best kills, probably. Some of them are kind of boring, but it is the funnest because it has a psychic battling Jason. Yeah, it's so cool. Like, this one is my favorite because for the first time in Friday the 13th, the series, we actually have a character who has something going on besides just being a horny teenager or a (laughs) camp counselor. Yeah. There's actual business Tina has. She has a motivation. She has a reason and her character has an arc in the film. And this is really the first time we've seen that. We still have all, of course, the horny teenagers. (laughs) But this is the first time that we've seen a character with a true motivation. We also have Dr. Cruz and Tina's mom, who all have this kind of shared endgame, though Dr. Cruz's endgame is a bit different. Sam, what did you think about this one? I thought it was all right. You thought it was all right? Not your favorite so far? Not my favorite. Okay. Not bad. Yeah, so this one, and going off what you said, Paul, about the kills aren't the best in this one, I want to talk a little bit about something we haven't touched on in the series, but something the series has battled since probably, I think, right around part two or three the ratings board the mpaa yeah the mpaa eviscerates these films they hate these films and poor john carl beekler rest in peace john carl beekler one of the all-time greats if you don't know his background he was a special makeup effects artist for a very long time and this was i think his directorial debut with this film if not it was his first big feature film with an actual big budget and business to do with that budget because there's a ton going on here mpaa eviscerated this film yeah shame they didn't keep that kind of stuff around so they could release like the unrated thing or whatever yeah and i know Usually in interviews, just when it got cut it got cut yep and i know in interviews he said that was part of the problem is the footage just never got preserved a good example is one of my favorite kills in the series is the sleeping bag kill in the original he picks that well, that person up in the bag and slams it in the tree like six times i was surprised that it wasn't it was just once yep because i thought it was really cool and that was the only kill that i thought was cool also but the yeah, weed whacker blade one where it's like uh uh yeah <laughs> yeah that one was more visceral a lot of yeah And you want that kill to be more visceral because that's the Dr. Cruz kill. Yeah. This guy's a dick. And you want to see him get killed in an awful way. And instead, it's just Saul comes down. His face goes. It was more brutal. The uh, like the the visions of the deaths. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even see that with the mom. Like kind of just like a blood splatter after he goes. "Ah." Yeah. Not even like him holding her up and her going. like. Yeah, and what's and I agree with you. And a lot of the visions had like this cool physicality where Kane was like grabbing people and holding them and like wrenching their bodies around. I wonder if they were able to get away with it more there because it was like this isn't a real one. It's a, yeah, it's a psychic vision. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting concept. If you haven't seen this one, obviously we spoiled the hell out of it, but I've already warned you about that every episode, so what are you doing? Anyway, this one is about Tina. She is a character who had a traumatic incident, and she also has psychokinetic powers. We talked about in the very first film, the ending of the film is kind of a ripoff of Carrie, and now we have full-on Carrie mm-hmm. in this film. Tina had a traumatic incident where she, wherein she accidentally killed her father with her powers, because her father was abusive. She's getting over the guilt of that. She's been 
obviously spent a long time in a mental institution. She's had a vision and all this is kind of quick exposition as she's driving up to Crystal Lake, which is not Forest Green anymore, which it was in part six. So a little bit of a continuity strangeness in that one. But she's going to Crystal Lake back to her childhood home, I guess, even though she lived there and somehow all of this evaded her. I'm not sure how the timeline works on that either. I don't, maybe it was just a, like a lake house. Like a summer home or yeah. something. It seems strange. Like it's kind of fuzzy, but they go back there because the doctor feels like visiting the the origin of her damage will help her in the long run. It's weird that's all just like kept preserved for so long. Right, exactly. Even the house. Like you think they would have sold it? Yeah. No, they just kept the property, I yeah, guess. Stuff is still in the drawers. Yeah, photographs still on the mm-hmm. mantle. Everything's untouched. It's exactly how you found it when they left. Really strange. And she's clearly 10 in the flashbacks. Yeah, so it's been at least like eight years at least right exactly so she's you know a young adult if not an adult at this point and everything's just fine a little little dusty just a little dusty so i'm glad to see they had a maid come out and take care of everything while they were dealing with tina's trauma (laughs) even movie continuity the last stuff would have happened before then yeah or no because he was at the bottom of like at the beginning of the vision Mm -hmm. Mm. hmm yeah, it's really strange it's continuity. Two years between like, actual movies. Yeah, and it's really strange too. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on is the beginning. We kind of get a retelling of a lot of the stories, in particular part six. We get a lot of the retelling of. You get the face reveal from part four because yeah. we're going to get the re-face reveal at the end of part seven. But there is a narrator. Who's that narrator? I don't know. Could it be Tommy? Because we never see Tommy again. He's not here. Where's Tommy? Obviously, we're talking about the timeline being fuzzy, but at this point, it's safe to assume that Tommy was an eight, like a you know, young adult in part six. So at this point... So he ties him up and puts him at the bottom, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's probably him. Because he's like, oh, they forget he's down there. Yeah. So it's like, is Tommy just a dude in his 30s now who's just kind of the old man who warns people? He's the old man from one who runs around on his bicycle. <laughs> this town's doomed. Hide in the pantry. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's always been a question, but I love the intro in this one. It really sets up the movie nicely. It was way different than any other. Yeah, I think it's very cinematic. It makes it exciting. You know stuff's coming, and they get a chance to kind of put in the pieces they need you to know to help tie the, the seventh movie together for you if you somehow are watching part seven. You're like, you know what? It's finally time for a Jason film. I'm going to start at seven and go on. But it's the new blood. New blood. I do like things I like about this film, the seriousness that there is in the film. Now, we've had teenagers in part five dealing with like mental trauma and things like that. And I'm like kind of using air quotes when I say that yeah. because five, there's barely any business with that. In this one, as loose as it is, it's not like we're getting into like a lot of medical jargon because Dr. Cruz is kind of an exploitative dick. We do actually get into like mental abuse and there's some serious issues here. All carryisms aside, we still have issues like childhood trauma that we're trying to deal with. And the fact that you can't always trust somebody you put in a position to be on top of your health. Yeah. And Dr. Cruz just takes full advantage of Tina in this film. Just wants the videotaper doing her things to become famous. Exactly. Exactly. And it's such a good, it's awful, but in terms of a character motivation, it's such a good one for this film. It sets him up as something, it gives you something to focus on outside of the Jason storyline. You're like, oh, what is the dude's deal? It's not like it's like a big mystery or anything too crazy. The mom discovers it almost immediately in the film. Now you're kind of like, oh, he's just an asshole. And so you kind of figure it out. And then a little too late, once he's using Tina's mom to shield himself from getting killed by Jason, is pretty wild. Jumping backwards, in the timeline, Tina in kind of a fit of emotions 
accidentally frees Jason from the bottom of the lake because she thinks that she feels a presence down there. It's a little ambiguous, but it seems like she feels a presence and she thinks it's her father. So she tries to bring his body. Somehow he fell in the lake and no one bothered to go down there and get him. Even mm-hmm. though it was known that he was at the bottom of the lake, he just is down there still so- for some reason. She tries to bring him up and she accidentally brings up Jason, who's now just full zombie. You can see his body parts are decayed. There's bones sticking out of different parts of him. Like he's full on actual psycho superpowered zombie in this film. No, I- kind of was in uh six yeah pretty much that was the brought start back by light, lightning bolt yeah like frankenstein that's right or delorean mm-hmm. <laughs> i i really like that this one picks up with him at that that i love that imagery. i talked about this at the end of six i love the imagery of him being chained down in the lake there mm. it just looks so cool it's so creepy that he's still down there and alive because it was the first shot is it a pan up or mm. down or it goes from the lake down, down under the water it's a really nice shot and he's also looks kind of fresh down there yeah and then the next one you see him and it's all like torn apart uh-huh it's really cool time has definitely impacted him and that's what you get when you get somebody like beekler at the helm because he's an accomplished makeup effects artist so his thoughts are going to be what's happened to this body being in a lake for this many years whoever however many years he decided it was it's really a cool notion and we get to see him really take advantage of jason we get to see when he comes out of the water for the first time we get to see his full spinal columns in the back of the the jumpsuit it's really awesome definitely a different costume though than cj graham wore in six cj Graham had like a two-piece with the belt and the little machete holder and everything. This one's like a one-piece jumpsuit. He magically changed underwater. He magically changed a little bit underwater, but... He had the yellow gloves and everything? He had the yellow gloves, like, but they were kind like of decayed and, and everything. Yeah, so they're like stuck to his flesh. It's all become one blobby mess, which is kind of gross and cool. Because you see the bones of his hands, too. Yeah, and there's a lot less humor in this one than Six. And we talked a lot, same about like the joke, Frankenstein jokes that kind of riddle Six. And you know that McLaughlin was kind of winking at you with this. Beekler takes this one very seriously. Like there's no jokes in this one, really. Even the teenagers who are supposed to be kind of jokey aren't funny. I kind of hate the teenagers in this one. Pretty much some of the worst teenagers we've had. Nick's okay. He's generic good guy, right? He's Rob from Four. Like, he's just kind of generic good guy. Mm-hmm. The rest of the characters, you either don't care about them or you kind of hate them, maybe with the exception of Maddie. Or, like, you kind of want to see their... What was the nerd that tried to put yourself... Maddie. Maddie. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, okay, kind of feel bad for her. Oh, she's going to do a thing. Never comes across the person after that. Yeah, exactly. The setup and the payoff are non-existent like, with Maddie. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to go make myself... And then instead of going back down into the house, she goes outside Wasn't to like, look for the guy. Even, like, the jerk girl saw her and was like, what are you doing? And she was like, oh, I'm going to go off. Yeah. It was just like, where are you? Oh, no, I'm dead. Really strange lack of setup and payoff for the, the kids. They just set up to be deaths. And very forgettable. Yeah. The kids are very forgettable. There's no storyline with them. Yeah, it's really rough. They made everything super on the surface. Like, this one guy wants to be a writer. This one dude is a stoner. <laughs> this one girl is a rich bitch. This other dude is kind of a Wall Street douchebag. His uncle owns the cabin. Yeah, like, it's oof. It's brutal. Like, you have the two, the couple, um, Ben, and I forget the female in that couple, but they're just fighting with each other. Kate. Kate. They just have a fight. Okay? And then you have... The guy whose surprise party it is, who has no character build up whatsoever Michael. other than he has to pee. Dude who has to pee. Yeah, Michael. His car sucks. <laughs> Yeah, his car sucks and he has to pee, which, I mean, is relatable. Yeah. We've all had sucky cars and have had to pee. Why I'd go that far to pee. <laughs> he walks, he does walk like a quarter mile to piss. Like, this, this is what your girlfriend's just there. It's like, there's a tree right there. Just like, walk behind the tree. You've never peed in front of your girlfriend? Yeah. Like, really? 
Like if she, if they're to the level of, she claims she got a cabin. So I guess she knew that like, cause she claims she has the, she got a cabin. So I guess she knows this Russ guy. So she jumped through all these hoops to get a cabin for him. Mm-hmm. Clearly it's not like they've been going out for a couple weeks or anything. So what's the deal here? You have to excuse a lot in seven for it to be good, I think. Not a lot, but there's certain things you have to excuse. My list of cons for seven though is done there. But yeah, it's clear they didn't care about the kids. It's not about that. No. That's why a lot of the well, a lot of kills were better before the ratings. And, but they didn't really care about the kills that much. No, no, they wanted to. They wanted and making them make sense. It's just like oh, I'm gonna kill this person. I'm gonna kill this person. Blah, blah, blah. Right, exactly. I feel bad for Beekler because his forte is special makeup effects, and obviously the ratings board is gonna go hard at that because he put in extra gory graphic kills because that's what he's good at. But I think they were also just going for like just saying like he kills people. He doesn't need a reason. He just does it. Right. He's a literal killing machine. He's the just point. a f- killing force now. It's a zombie that kills people but doesn't like eat them like normal zombies. Right. And it's it's a really great point because I think what that does really nicely is it sets up Tina because Tina can go toe to toe with Jason in this film. So it sets up Jason as this unstoppable force. Like we hear that all the time. Jason is the unstoppable force. And now you have Tina who's going to square off against him. Telekinesis is like basically the best superpower. Mm. It can't be stopped. There's yeah. no limitation to it at all. It's kind of a perfect way to deal with Jason. It's the first time we've seen Jason have a challenge. A good example to compare it to is at the end of part six, we had the sheriff attempt to fight him hand to hand, which is great for the sheriff's storyline that he tries to like you know what i know i can't beat this guy i'm just gonna try to fight him to save my daughter which is an awesome piece of character development and then jason bends him around the wrong way because it's just not even a challenge for him he's like this is a joke thing like i can't this is ridiculous so you get to see all this lead up to seven where it's just like oh she can actually like kind of tangle with jason which is awesome this is the first time we've seen maybe this person can actually dispatch him for the first time and i think that really is was really cool and she's so she has so much baggage that she's dealing with and you had the Dr. Cruz character and the mom character all telling this story. They don't waste any time with it. Like, I feel like the pacing in this movie is really good. There's enough business going on between everything. The stuff where we're waiting for Michael to show up and it's been over a full day and no one seems to be worried is a little ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But again, there was so little thought put into the kids and so much thought seemingly put into the actual Tina story. Your B story, I guess we'll call it, falls off pretty hard in this one. But I think the Tina stuff is so smart and well done. I can excuse a lot of the filthy fornicator stuff. Once we've established everybody's kind of set up and dying, we've got Nick meeting Tina and Nick's kind of like the good guy character. We have him in blue pretty much through the whole movie, right? Policemen are the the guy, the boys in blue. So he's the hero in literally all blue. Denim, denim, and a blue sweater. The whole movie. (laughs) He's our good guy. If you can't tell, be very obvious with our visual cues that he's the good guy. This is also the first movie I will point out that we have not seen any New Jersey license plates in the film. Because if you don't know, and we talked about it in the first one, the first film is shot in New Jersey and they're pretty good with keeping continuity for some reason on the license plates until this one where the license plates are from all over the place. Obviously, Tina may have moved or like Paul alluded to may not be their actual home. They may be from out of state. Yeah, they kept saying coming up here. That's possible too. So they're from down south a little bit maybe. Yeah, maybe. If they're going to make the drive, it's believable. It could be a, yeah, you know, knows what the list, a Carolina. Or, yeah, we've met Nick. We've established everybody's kind of coming up here from various different places. Now that they've met, we've met all the kids, everything, blah, 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 blah. Jason's back now. He just starts his murder spree. Hmm. He doesn't have to go very far in this one. One of the things I think that they also did a really nice job in this one, I threw this out to part five that I thought also did a good job with this, is that the camp and like where they're at, well, I guess like off the lake, feels pretty isolated. Feels like they're out in the woods. I mean, the trees are a little strange in this one. Like it feels like they shot it in a bunch of different places. 
places because the trees are very strange. Like yeah. you have a lot of different trees and it almost feels like different times of year because like some of the trees are in a, in a dying state. Some of the trees are, you don't ever see them like fully flourishing, but you see it like beginning of fall. Then you see it like obviously looks kind of like wintry. There's definitely some breath in some of the scenes. Definitely. But I think it looks really good. The forest they pick's dense. Love that when they do close-ups in this one, they're smart. The cinematographer is smart enough to break up the lights with branches so that you get the feeling that they are deep in the woods. And we really haven't seen that a lot. We talked about how nicely Photograph 6 was. This one, I think, isn't quite as cinematically interesting, but the details are really nice in this one. Like the branches being over the key lights and things we haven't really seen before to give the illusion they are deep in the woods. So it feels pretty good. Though for the deep woods, I will say it's it's a little convenient. They all find each other pretty quickly in this one when they're like, I'm going to go find my mom five minutes later. There she is. Darn it. She is dead. And also happens right next to each other. Yeah. And none of them hear any of the commotion. Right. I mean, there's a storm, but there's not a flash of lightning every time. Exactly. Exactly. And there's never a storm. No, just <laughs> lightning. You know, that very, very common occurrence of some light. Once we start to get into that, we realize that Dr. Cruz is actually an a-hole. Tina's been seeing visions of people dying and saying Jason's there. He's been denying it and saying she's crazy or then they all thought. And now she's got evidence and we find out that Dr. Cruz has hidden it. So we've fully established now that he's a douchebag and we talked about Tina's mom putting in the tape and seeing that he's just using her as a way to be famous. So that's all he cares about, which I think is great. You kind of suspect he's a bit of a dick, but whatever, maybe he's doing his job and he has to be stern and keep things in order. You can kind of excuse it a little bit. What did you think in the beginning? Did you think he was just kind of a dick or did you suspect something nefarious of from him? I thought he was a dick right away. Did you think he was, like, up to something, or did you think he was just kind of a dick? No, I didn't know necessarily he was up to something. You know, he rubbed me the wrong way. Oh, sure. I think I assume right away when he's making her move the matchstick under videotape. I'm like, hey, do this thing. Mm-hmm. Do it. Just do it. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. I didn't even really catch on to that. Say, like, after she left the room, his, uh, him just being like, I wish he'd, like, gone and, like, made sure the tape, like, oh, I got it. Yeah. Have the uh, the diehard moment in there with eating mm-hmm. the candy. Yeah. So now we've gotten all that set up. We realize he's fully just an asshole. They're running around trying to find Tina. Tina leaves, gets angry and leaves in a car. Then they're following her to try to figure out where she is. Nick's trying to figure out what's going on. And Melissa's trying to have sex with the writer dude to hope to make Nick jealous. And Melissa is an interesting character, not because she's interestingly written, she's terrible, but somehow she does not get murdered and just misses the fact that everyone is murdered. Mm-hmm. through the whole movie it's so strange and so bizarre to me that but she gets a great when she opens the door and jason's just standing there i love that moment but it's just always struck strikes me as bizarre when i watch a film it's like where was she like like you said they're right next to each other where was she walking all this time that she managed to miss everyone getting murdered somebody just got thrown out of window nobody heard that yeah nobody heard somebody running it like a weed whacker chainsaw thing in the, in the woods right exactly it's just but very bizarre that no one would notice or care. Even Tina leaving in the car. Nobody saw her drive away or cared that she was doing that. But I mean, at that point, they were literally all having sex in either the van outside or in the house. Unless the one couple who were skinny dipping and they were murdered. That was Russ and his lady, Sandra, I think. It's just the, all that's going on. So it's, it's very busy and it gives Jason a lot of targets to work with. What's really cool about a lot of these is Beekler also gives a lot of camera space, I guess, and a lot of camera work to Jason in this one. A lot of him moving a lot of like you see him walking a lot in this movie comparatively jason normally you don't know where he is you get to see a lot of him moving around stalking people cams a lot of creature cams you get that weird uh they stuck a camera on the end of that saw weed whacker thing Mm -hmm. so he could walk with it at the camera (laughs) it's really strange but you actually get to see jason have like doing things that aren't just killing which i think is pretty interesting and i think that beekler saw a lot in what hotter was doing 
But Hodder's physicality, I think, is so good mm. in this movie. I think C.J. Graham is, we talked about this, just kind of big, and his movements were very big. And I think Kane does that and took that cue really nicely because just the way he moves his shoulders is not, like, we hadn't seen that before out of a Jason. Yeah, and the, uh, the fake teeth on his, uh, like, the side of his face that he was able to move his jaw around and, like, grinds them. yeah. It's a lot of subtlety, the way he moves his head. The fact he will get up and he'll stand and he'll just look. It's great. You haven't seen like that. Just he's analyzing the situation or he's waiting for you to make a move, almost like a gunslinger, where it's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to figure out how to stop. Like, do what you want. It's not going to matter, which I think is makes him even more imposing. I like the idea of not really seeing him a whole lot because it's like, ooh, that's a little scary. In the barn with Maddie is a good example of it. She looks through the cracks of the boards and he's kind of gone for a second, but she turns her head and then you see him walking. And it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. You have that nod of he's allowed to just disappear like in all the other films, but then you go, oh, okay, but he's just walking a few steps, which makes a lot more sense. Because in the movies, the kids just look once and they're gone. So it actually like makes them feel a little bit more grounded in that sense. Good. It seems weird. He's just like walking around in there. It's <laughs> like back and forth. Yeah. Like it's not a big barn. It's just like he can't figure out her shed, I guess. Not even a barn, but just a tiny little space and he just can't figure out where she's gone. Or he's like, yeah. It's almost like he's pondering how he's going to kill her. It's like, I figured it out. How am I going to kill her? Which I think is pretty cool. The sickle's an interesting. I mean, he's like, God, how many different things does he use in this film to kill people? Every kill almost has a unique weapon. And some of them, I guess, his hand multiple times. Like he crushes the one dude's head and then he. Hand through the chest. Yeah, puts his hand through a chest, which we saw from part six, which was the punching uh, Horshack's heart out. That was a a nice nod back to it. It's funny because it's just like you demonstrate how deadly he is because of his body. And it's like, why does he need a weapon to kill people exactly? <laughs> he can just murder them with his hands effectively enough. The whole thing is so cleverly done and I do like that it really... It's like, ah, my hand, I punched it through this guy, I better pick up this machete. Yeah, I don't like this anymore. <laughs> I really like a lot of that. And then we get into the stunts that they had Kane do. And holy crap, they have him do some wild shit in this movie. Even building That I love that. When she has the whole porch falling on him. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so cool looking. And the stair one. The stairs. the stairs. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And he just busts out from Harry Potter's room. Oh, it's so cool. It matches with a lot, of, a lot of fake wood. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. The fire stunt. Mm. Holy shit. And if you don't know Kane Hodder's deal, Kane Hodder was severely burned early in his career. So him coming out and doing that fire, that's a lot of fire in that one. Mm-hmm. And he falls down on fire, which is very dangerous. Well, that's how you're supposed to end it. Yeah. If he falls, they'll probably, they'll probably yep. put him out like immediately. Yeah. Really cool. The fact that they shot all that too. Yeah. It's just really awesome. You never see them fall down on fire. That's one of my favorite burns is Nightmare on Elm Street where he falls down the step, gets up and keeps going. It's like, what? <laughs> so good. That burn, that burn in this movie is so big and it's everywhere. The whole set's on. It's not just like they put a fire bar in front and they had him on fire in the back. There's fire all over the friggin' place in that shot. Yeah, some of it lands like really close to the camera, strip the camera. Yeah. It's the same in the underwater shot when the pier collapsed in the beginning. Like one of those beams hit where the camera was. It like shook it. Yep. It's really good and really well handled. Love the stunts in this movie and Kane's physicality. That's one of the things Beekler did nicely, I think, is where he couldn't have the gore, he got to have the stunts mm. and the physicality of it. So I think that really saves this movie. It is chopped up like crazy when it comes to the kills, yeah. but it's so good when it comes to the pure stunt work that's being done in the film. Oh, I love it. And it's so much crazy stuff when he's getting hung by the electrical cord and then Drop 
drop falls through the, through the ceiling. Yeah, that's crazy stuff that he is doing in this movie. All while he's in full effects suit. Yeah. Whoa. That couch thrown at him and then getting headbutted by a head that he decapitated. That's right. <laughs> One of my favorite moments of his physicality is when she puts the, closes the door and puts a table in front and he just kind of has like that, are you fucking joking look? Like the way he moves his body, he's like, are you for real right now? Is great. Then they through and she's like, ah. Yeah. What do you think that would stop? <laughs> yeah, like, are you for real? It's so good. He gets to play so much, and I think that they really did a nice job of giving him that luxury and that latitude. It's really awesome. It's no surprise that he got to play Jason the most of any of the, mm-hmm. the actors who got to play Jason or stunt people, whatever you want to call them. Performers is probably the best word. Who got to play Jason. It was weird that he was keeping all the bodies. Yeah. Why were you collecting all the bodies? Yeah, it was really strange. And then he like, made this macabre tree art yeah. with them, which I think is really weird. We saw a little bit of that as, as the movies have evolved. We talked about Crispin Glover in 4. He gets nailed up to the door to prevent people from leaving. Mm-hmm. And we see a little bit of him moving bodies and using them, like throwing them through windows and stuff. He used them as devices more. And this one, he kind of just was like, I'm going to make this cool tree. We did see him in the one in the like little shed air, in the little shed area where he put, it was the mom's head. Yeah. And then the bodies around it in that little area. So yeah, the was, second one. Second one, yeah. Yeah, the Mrs. Voorhees shrine. So he's just trying to recreate a shrine. Yeah. Yeah, it's, he just has, he's, he's an artist. Mm. If you think about it, really the whole thing could be an analog, right? He's an artist struggling against modern society who are just a bunch of assholes, and he's just trying to push his artwork through them. If you look at it through that lens, really, makes more sense, doesn't it? Mm. When you break it all down, one of the things, there's so much good here, and I think one of the big positives is that they took a serious concept, and we're like, we're going to try to make it this girl who's in psychological treatment for something awful that happened, we're going to make her essentially square off against Jason as such a cool like if somebody were telling me like what's what's the next Jason gonna be with this girl with psychic powers and she's gonna fight Jason whoa Carrie cool. versus Jason yeah exactly like that's the elevator pitch is Carrie versus Jason it's just like holy shit I would watch the shit out of that they don't make her trauma seem fake or they don't just graze over it like they do in part five where all these kids are here at this ranch for treatment this one they actually kind of now Obviously, the doctor is making everything terrible, but they actually treat it like this is a serious thing that she has and a serious... I mean, he treats it seriously because he wants to be famous from it or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever he's going to do. This one has that, whereas Five just kind of like, the kids are here and they're all ripoffs or we don't care, the girl who listens to music or whatever, like they don't exist. This one has those kids for sure, but the actual mental health part of it is really serious and getting over the guilt of what she did to her father. And then at the end, her father is kind of the savior of the film Mm. in a way is weird. Again, why didn't they get his body? You could treat it as they did. And she just believed that it was him and it really was her that that did it. But her mind, she needed to, to do that. And we do see things from Tina's point of view through the movie already with the visions and things. So I can defend the fact that maybe that was an actual real delusion the body wasn't there she just saw it that way so that she but had all that provisions were also true right right so it's this not in those places she saw them exactly i think i could excuse that one as being a little strange but i can there's enough good in the film that i can excuse away that little bit of weirdness definitely can't excuse the poor writing for the the fornicators because they're just woof they're not great mm. beekler does a great job the photography in this one's really good the music they brought in fred molin to do and i think it complements the manfredini stuff really well he uses that as the underlying piece and decides to just go bigger with his stings and his music this movie's loud as shit yeah it's definitely the loudest friday the 13th this is the same volume that we've listened to all of them on we haven't changed the volume this one's loud as fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I was watching, I was like, damn, this is loud. Paul probably thinks we're deaf. Where were we sitting, Paul? Like three feet away from each other? And like, I'm like, what? What'd you yeah, say? I, gonna, I, I was say, thinking, I'm, I'm like, why is this one so loud? I was surprised, like, at the difference. Yeah. yeah I was like, wow, they listen to the movie, movies pretty loud, huh? No. I'm, I'm, baby, I haven't been able to listen to anything <laughs> like a seven. <laughs> Yeah, it's 100% the same volume, and I'd say the other ones come in at like 75% of that one. Yeah, sometimes I can't even hear what they're saying. I just rely on the subtitles like, oh, that's what they said. This is the yeah, this is the spinal tap of, <laughs> of of Friday the 13th. It's crazy. It's really good. I think Mullen does a nice job of making the music nice and big. It kind of plays everything back a little bit and makes it more cinematic. I really think it's it's pretty cleverly done. I, I, do, I, I don't understand the pistol, the dad's pistol. Why do we need a pistol in this film? Just so we can shoot Jason three times can't be shot i don't know yeah really strange that's kind of it and i do want to talk a little bit about he doesn't even use it until later not even like when he first shows up right you think they forgot about it till he's on the dock he's like i'm gonna shoot him three times like even then like he's like uh he doesn't pull that out of anywhere. He just kind of has it on his side, like he already had it ready. Yeah. Like the prop people wouldn't let him like put it in his pants. Yeah. Like it must have been a real gun, and like they were being like real safety about it. That makes sense. The look of Jason, because we haven't seen his face since part four. Well, I guess you see like his eye in six, where the the worms are, but we haven't seen his full face since part four. And I think they did a really nice job with that particular makeup effect. It's mm. in my head when somebody says Jason without his mask, that's the the vision that strikes me. Not the not the Savini sculpt, but mm. that particular sculpt. What do you think, Paul? I know you're a fan of this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean they try to show it off by him like pulling the nail out and like He does a lot. There's so much expression in that. Like when he gets appliance. Uh, choked by the light cord. Oh yeah. It's crazy that eye moves a ton. The where the not eye is, there's even brow movement in there. And the mouth is great. Like, I think the eyes is real high. The one eye is. Yeah. I think the one eye is covered, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's even a lot of uh, brow movement because that's a fake eye. So they had to put something over it. And sometimes that gets really fakey because it's all attached. Mm. But they did a nice job, I thought. It moves great. What do you think, Sam, seeing the face? Do you think it's a nice nod to all this trauma later from four? Yeah, I liked it. And I liked how they kind of had her squeezing his mask to the point where you could see like goop, goop coming out. And then that's when they reveal it. Yeah. That was pretty cool. The level of pus and various of various colors and a little bit of blood that comes out you're like what but i mean it makes sense right like he's been bloated underwater so yeah. things would be pussy and nasty and put a lot of thought into the just terrible liquid colors that would come out of the back of his head it's like a swamp thing now yeah it's really cool and really creepy i think that 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 look is awesome no longer afraid of the water been in the water so long doesn't care doesn't care anymore it's it's crazy and we saw that in part six too because he walks out when he's being sprayed down by gas still scares me ah. yeah yep <laughs> like oh i hate gas that kid poured that on the water the one time mm-hmm. <laughs> but i do i do like this one quite a bit it's just such a strong entry in the series it's the first time where it feels like something happened in there other than just you you know it's a friday the 13th you know kids die Mm-hmm. This one actually, you know, we have something a little bit more to keep you involved and to make the pacing speed up a little bit. I think six and seven both do a tremendously good job with their pacing. So, Sam, what do you say? You said it was all right. Where do you think uh, Where do you think you'd rank it out of 10? Where are you feeling on this one? I'd give it a five out of 10. A five out of 10? So very middle of the road. Yeah. Very middle of the road. I okay. liked it, but I think the kills were definitely very weak. Which they were. brought it down. And the teenagers or whatever they are. Yeah. Definitely brought it down for me agreed that's but i did i did like the telekinesis and tina's story i thought that was interesting yeah definitely paul still high on this one uh pretty high i'd say seven the new blood but i'd probably give it more of an eight 
Yeah, I think that's fair. That's that's about where I land on this one too. Like somewhere in the seven and a half, eight realm. The highs are so high in this film that it really excuses a lot of the lows in this film. I mean, you're already expecting just like a slasher thing, but they didn't like take away some of the kills. But you still get the cool stuff. The ending, like price of admission alone, is paid with the stuff where they're in the house. Just her, Nick, and jason is so good the stunt works great the explosion of the houses again why the hell the house explode but it's awesome explosion mm-hmm. the stunt work is killer the effects work is fantastic it's like but, they're having fun with the movie but not making fun of the movie exactly it's not mclaughlin's like wink wink nudge nudge in this eh, eh, yeah. eh. it's not at all but like you said it's aren't like, we kind of like trauma yeah and this is much different in the terms of the Tina stuff is taken very seriously, but not so much so that they want you to think that this is how they feel about the subject matter. They yeah. just want you to know it's serious, but we're still also making it Friday the 13th movie. Mm, people are dying. Psychic person wants to stop them. Yeah. Psychic people now. <laughs> really cool. So, Sam, do you think we're going to see any psychics in part eight? Do you think we're going to continue with Tina? Do you think we're going to jump, jump ship completely on the next one? Do you know the tagline of the next one? I do not. So the tagline is Friday the 13th part eight. Jason takes Manhattan. Mm. Any ideas? Maybe he moves out of... Crystal Lake? Yes. Forest Green? Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I think Jason will obviously be in it. I don't think we'll see Tina again. You don't think no Tina? My guess is no. Okay. Uh, how much Jason in a Hawaiian shirt for his trip to Manhattan? Zero. How much Jason in an I Love New York t-shirt? Zero. Okay. <laughs> Paul, what do you do? You have any uh, any words of wisdom for Sam? Any uh, anything to say going into part eight? We have uh, there's eight, nine, ten, and the remake and Freddy versus. Anything that stands out to you is like I'm excited for these or oh God bless your heart. <laughs> I've never seen ten. You've never seen Space? No, I've never seen X. Wow, Jason goes to hell is interesting. <laughs> it's, it's a lot different. It is. Yeah, it is. Back to some magical powers. Have you seen the remake? Uh, no. Okay, so you haven't seen the remake or Space. Nope. Wow, that's interesting. And then you get Manhattan. How do you feel about Manhattan? Are you lukewarm on it? It's okay. There's some funny stuff in it. There is. There is. Yeah, Manhattan, I, we'll talk about Manhattan when we get there, but there, I, have a, I think I have the same bone to pick with Manhattan as everybody else who sees takes Manhattan. Mm. <laughs> so we'll see what Sam thinks about that particular piece. But we will be back next week with more how good is that? So big thanks to Paul for coming out. Mm. You can catch Paul pretty much anywhere we put stuff. Paul, where do we put stuff? Uh, YouTube, Twitch, other places. That's good. I, got, I just got to keep Paul on his toes just so he remembers where the content we put out is. And you can also check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you are social. We try to be social there. So we will be back with Takes Manhattan, where hopefully Sam won't take a vacation from this podcast after seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>